I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connections, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. This is such a fun episode. My guest for today is Jenna Hamshaw. And Jenna is a dietitian in New York City. And what we talk about is veganism and eating disorder recovery. Incredibly complicated, very complex. Yet when you listen to Jenna, if you are doing it for the right reasons, if the intention behind the veganism is authentic, it can be done. So I'm not going to say any more. We're just going to jump right in. It's a really fun show. Okay, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am so honored and really psyched to have our guest on today, Jenna Hamshaw. Jenna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Well, I think this is going to be a really interesting topic, so I'm thrilled to have you. Jenna, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, let listeners know what what you'd like them to know about you, but I want to let people know that we're talking today about veganism in recovery, which is a very complicated path. I, I, I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but I love your story about this. So Jenna, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I am a registered dietitian. I am a food writer. I write a blog called The Full Helping, um, and I've written a couple of cookbooks, and I'm at work on another one right now. So I sort of, my work is in the intersection of kind of nutrition um, as a dietitian, and then food writing and recipe creation and recipe development, which is a space that I'm really happy in. Um, I think, interestingly enough, if you had told me maybe 10 years ago that this would be my professional life, I would have been um, shocked, but also really glad to hear that I could have this kind of relationship with food that is so positive and passionate and that I'm able to share with other people because my relationship with food at the time did not look like that at all. Uh, I come from a, an eating disorder history myself, uh, on and off pretty much through much of late adolescence and my early 20s and went through the recovery process in my mid-20s and have recovered as a vegan, as an ethical vegan. So that is 
a really interesting, it, I think path is a great word for it. It's an interesting path, an interesting journey, a complicated one for sure, but one that for me has really been deeply meaningful. And I write about that very candidly on my website. I talk to a lot of people who are sort of exploring that possibility for themselves. And it has been really a privilege and an honor to bear witness to all of that. I can only imagine. And I want to point a word out that you said, and and maybe I'm 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 too honed in on this, but you said an ethical vegan. And I'm wondering if you're referring to the fact that you your entire life, meaning the way the the products that you buy, like you do not buy leather, you do not buy certain products. Like, are you referring to that? Meaning like it is truly an ethical value. And I'm saying this because when I was in my eating disorder and listeners, please know I'm putting this in air quotes, I was vegetarian which was not for ethical reasons, it accommodated my eating disorder. So am I drawing too much of one word or I just thought I'd- No, I use the word very intentionally when I talk about my veganism, because I think especially what's happening right now is um, veganism has become popularized in a really significant way in the last five years. It's, It's become much more mainstream, which is fantastic. But it's also worth noting that now I think it encompasses a wide range of motivations. So there are people who are, you know, adopting plant-based diets for the sake of their health. There are people adopting plant-based diets for the sake of the environment. When I use the word vegan, I use it intentionally instead of plant-based, although sometimes I'll use plant-based if it's just what makes more sense to the person I'm having a dialogue with, but I really, you know, my sort of preferred way of identifying is as a vegan and a, and an ethical vegan. And by that, I really do mean it's an entire lifestyle for me. So yes, I mean, to whatever extent possible, I try to purchase vegan clothing, apparel, accessories, um, products. I try to support animal rights causes in whatever small or, you know, not so small way that I possibly can. And it really is sort of an ethos or um, almost kind of a, a worldview for me, as opposed to just a style of eating. Yeah. So I, I know that part of your story is you became vegan after you recovered. Is that correct? Or did I, do I have that in the correct format? Like, can you share with listeners a little bit about this? And again, I want to be very clear. You also write about in a very responsible way that any ism can can be triggering. So, you know, you're basically saying it works for me, but I think you did it very responsibly. I think it's a it's a difficult thing for someone to recover from an eating disorder and go into veganism and do it in a way that's truly honoring their hunger, their fullness, their their sense of taste and things like that. So how did you get there and how did you do it in a way that was, I, I don't know if I want to use the word healthy, but I'm going to for the sake of this conversation. I tend to use that word with lots of disclaimers myself in, in every part of my in every part of my career. So the answer is that it's messy. It's a messy, complicated, like muddled story. And, you know, I got to where I am only through a lot of stumbling around, but essentially I was vegan leaning. I stopped eating red meat when I was quite young. Um, 
but was eating poultry and fish all through, you know, all through adolescence and my teenage years. Started leaning vegetarian after college. Um, and I would say at that moment in time, I was, my eating disorder was not especially uh, loud in my life. I've gone through, I've gone through a couple of periods of relapse and recovery. So um, I was doing okay at that point when I started leaning vegetarian at the time. I had sort of, I had read you know, a couple of books that made me think about the environment. I was just thinking, you know, I haven't eaten red meat in a while. I think, I think I could do this and I think it would actually be quite easy for me. Um, and then not long after that, I did enter another period of relapse and that lasted for a couple of years. And then I sort of arrived at my mid twenties with, I think for the first time, a real inner commitment to lasting recovery, as opposed to sort of, I know I ought to recover. I know, you know, it's, it's sort of what I should do. It was really the first time in my life where I wanted it for myself very much on my own terms. Yeah. Do you remember what created that shift? Because that is the shift that, that is necessary, that internal. And by the way, I'm not saying if you don't feel it yet, you cannot recover but you can feel it in your body where you're like something shifting. So do you remember how that happened? Or is it something that, you know, was multiple events and, and, and circumstances like with most of us? Yeah, I wish I could identify an event or a sort of um, a circumstance or a happening in my life that made it possible. I think some of it was actually just like getting older and chronology in my life. Like I think part of it was just maturation for me personally. I was at a moment where I was developing a career that I cared about. And I was also staring out at adulthood for the first time in a very real way. You know, I was in my mid twenties. Again, I was no longer a kid in the way I had been when my eating disorder had developed in the first place and tended to circle back to me. And I remember the thing I said, um, to myself at the time and to my therapist was, I just, I want a fuller life. I want a bigger life. And I had the sense that even though day to day, I had become really good at being functional within my eating disorder, there was a kind of richness to my life that was lacking. And I really wanted a future that could hold lots of possibilities and lots of abundance for me, interpersonal, but also just experiential. I wanted to be able to sort of enjoy food experiences in a way I couldn't at the time. So that was it. That was my shift. It was this sense that in the short term recovery was going to be very hard, but the only way I could have the long-term future that I really wanted for myself was to get through it. And that was what was urging me forward. Wonderful. So now going back to where you were saying, so you, you felt this internal shift and I'm going to keep, turn it right back to you. Absolutely. So I, I started approaching recovery in earnest at that point, I would say I really committed myself to it entirely um, and was doing a good job. And I sort of got to a point of physical stability. And I think that was the moment where I also sort of started to think about veganism concurrently with that. I would say it all kind of happened at the same time. I was, I was physically stable, but I was still in the point where my sort of thoughts and, and thought patterns were still recovering. They were, they were not fully recovered. 
And I thought about veganism. And looking back, I think the honest answer is, I can't tell you if wanting to be vegan at that moment had something to do with wanting to continue to have, um, I don't know how to put it, like boundaries around my relationship with food that would make me feel sort of safe in the way my eating disorder had. I think it's probably true that there was some of that there. It's also true that at the time, as I was going through recovery, I was, as many patients have, I now know, because I'm a dietitian. at the time I didn't know, I was having a lot of GI stuff. And the gastroenterologist I saw had sort of gently suggested that I could experiment with eliminating dairy. And I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe that'll make a difference. It's, it's easy enough for me to buy soy milk, fine. And all of those things contributed to me inching closer and closer to veganism in my diet. And what I did find as I approached it and then entered being vegan, and for a while I was like not really using the word to describe myself because I wasn't really sure it was going to be something that lasted for me. And I was also very self-conscious about the fact that everyone in my life was going to think it was like my new disordered thing that I was doing. And so there was just like a lot of there was a lot of privacy around it for a while because I, I, I felt that self-consciousness. And so I entered into a vegan lifestyle. And what I realized that veganism was actually much more approachable and manageable than I thought it had gonna, was going to be. It was a very, very easy and pleasant transition for me. At the point I was at with my diet, it was really just a question of like buying non-dairy milk. It was not a huge transition. I had so little attachment to meat in the first place that that did not really register as a loss in my, in my diet or my lifestyle at all. And the other thing I found was that it really encouraged me to befriend cooking in a way I never had. I didn't really grow up cooking much at all and had never been inclined in that direction. I sort of, I had like an abstract or, or sort of more of an intellectual love of food, but I hadn't really spent much time with food. Like I hadn't spent much time in the kitchen myself. And because I was vegan and at at the time, especially, it wasn't that easy to eat out as a vegan. I just figured like, well, I'd better figure out how to cook. I, 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 better, I better like learn how to make some food in my kitchen. And I was exploring all these new ingredients. I was exploring cooking for the first time. And I found that my relationship with food was getting richer and richer. And it was actually becoming a lot more rewarding for me. And then I had been in this space of sort of not not being hyper vocal about my veganism, but definitely dedicated to it for a little while. Um, and I still sort of explained it to other people as like a health decision. I, I was still in that space for a while and had even started blogging at that point. I was writing about my recipes. I was writing about my vegan diet. Um, but I would say that I was not yet identifying as an ethical vegan because that wasn't what was really motivating me at the time. It was more of this complicated stew of other stuff. And then a close friend invited me to a farm animal sanctuary event. It was a Thanksgiving sort of fundraiser dinner. And having grown up in New York City, I actually had spent very little time around farm animals. You know, I, as a vegan, I was familiar with factory farming and sort of animal agriculture and how it worked, but I hadn't really spent a lot of time with animals on farms. So when I went to the farm sanctuary event, that was really the first time I stared into the eyes of, of pigs and goats. And I did have this very powerful moment of connecting um, 
And it brought me back to the reason I stopped eating red meat when I was a kid, which is that I saw Dumbo and I saw Bambi and both movies made me completely hysterical as a child. Just the the thought of it had really hit me. So it did actually bring a sort of thread of my past into my present in a way that was powerful. And I think after that weekend, that was when I really started to actively identify as an ethical vegan. And it did become an entire lifestyle for me. And the funny thing is, you know, I suspect, and I'll never know because I have the path that I have, but my suspicion is that if I had remained purely health motivated or environmentally motivated, or if it had just, if veganism had just been some sort of complex overlay of my eating disorder history, I think I would have at a certain point stop. I probably would have stayed vegetarian or vegan leaning or something more in the flexitarian part of the spectrum, but I doubt I would have maintained, you know, being truly vegan all these years. Whereas once the ethical shift happened, it just started to be so much a part of how I sort of tried to show up in the world. It became, you know, really this principle of ahimsa um, or just non-harming that started to animate all of my choices. And at that point forward, being vegan became sort of just second nature to me and has stayed that way to the point where I don't even think about it that much anymore. But I don't think that, I don't think my original motivations would have kept me vegan in this way. I, I think that first of all, I just want to say your, your narrative, your story is really beautiful. Even going as far back as, as a child crying when, I think you said you started crying when you were watching Dumbo and Bambi. I mean, those are really powerful, powerful images. And those are really soulful images. Let me play a little bit of devil's advocate, though. What do you do when a client comes to you who it's not this, like I looked into the eyes of a goat. And by the way, I also want to hear, I, I want to point out that you said, so, or when, when the, when the doctor, I love that you said gently recommended taking dairy out because they're normally not so gentle. You were like, okay, so I'm going to get soy milk or like, so you always found a healthy substitute. What do you do though with clients? How do you help guide them that this is much more about orthorexia, anorexia, anything like that, as opposed to really about like, this is, this is who I am to the core. So it's a really complicated conversation. I should start by saying that as a dietitian, I have no agenda. So I work with plenty of omnivores. I work with plenty of ethical vegans. I work with, um, plenty of people who come to me with an interest in a plant-based diet and who discover as we work together that it is actually an, a manifestation of disordered eating, or it's just not what is going to work for them long-term, maybe for other reasons, maybe just because the nature of their lifestyle and the constraints of their lifestyle are such that it's just not manageable for them. You know, it, it is kind of, it can be work to maintain veganism, especially if you happen to live in a community where it's not that easy to find support or it's not that easy to find products, et cetera. Like there are all sorts of reasons why it would be really challenging for someone. My goal is always to just support a person in doing what is actually nourishing and healthful for them in the, in, in a very long-term way. Sometimes that means me helping and supporting and championing someone as they explore veganism for the long haul, because it really is the right thing for them. And sometimes it means me holding space for someone's realization that it's not the right thing for them. 
with recovery, it is especially complicated, of course. And I try to just sort of suss out as best I can when I first start working with someone, what's motivating you? Is is this a real sense of, of ethics or um, a real sense of commitment to the environment? Is it sort of a health concern? And it doesn't, that doesn't have to be bad. If someone thinks that veganism is a helpful choice, that doesn't necessarily have to be bad. But if you're needing disorder history, it is incredibly complex. It's really important for us to have it in our conscious minds, as opposed to buried and potentially problematic for, for another person. So I do my best to examine that. And I also try to encourage my clients, and this is not always a popular stance for people who are approaching veganism, maybe for the, maybe for less less helpful reasons that I'm going to try to encourage them to eat all the vegan things. So if I sense that veganism is just sort of a code for, I am not going to eat this and I'm not going to eat that. If I sense that there's a real reluctance to eat vegan products, like you're never going to buy vegan ice cream, you're never going to eat a vegan impossible burger, et cetera, et cetera. If I really start to sense that this is more about food elimination, as opposed to just being vegan, that is something I'll bring up with my client and have a really honest dialogue. And I do try to make people aware of the fact that if you're going to choose to eliminate a number of foods from your diet by being vegan, it is really important for your long-term health and also your recovery, your, your mental health around recovery to eat as inclusive and varied a vegan diet as possible. It is not hard in this day and age with all these amazing plant-based products that line the grocery store shelves. But what I hope to see is that my clients will develop a real comfort with all of the possibilities of a vegan diet, as opposed to using it as a reason to be ultra selective and um, potentially far too limited in the way that they eat. You know, I keep having this image coming up in my mind. And again, when I said earlier in my air quotes that I was vegetarian when I was in my eating disorder, uh, my my parents used to take me out to eat all the time because they thought if we get her at a restaurant, maybe she'll eat, maybe she won't cry, maybe she won't this. By the way, never happened. In fact, every restaurant in Boston was like, oh God, the Lewises are coming again. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. But I used we used to go to this one restaurant and I would always order the vegetarian platter. This is how you could tell though that it was from my disordered self. I would say no pasta salad on it, no legumes, no potatoes, no sweet potatoes. I want just the vegetables grilled. That's it. That's not vegetarianism. That's an eating disorder. Right. And I believe firmly that any eating style, whether that's being an omnivore or, you know, some, some other eating style that's not veganism, if you are not coming from a healthy place, if your motivations with food are disordered, you will use any eating paradigm to be an expression of that. Veganism is, it happens to be one that I think people lean towards very often, but I have of course seen people who are approaching other eating styles who are doing the same thing you're describing, which is it, at the end of the day, it's not really about the eating style. It's about eating as little calorie density as possible. <laughs> yeah. Even my parents were like, come on, you're not vegetarian. I'm like, no, really, I am. They're like, oh, gosh, all right, here we go. Here's another, here's another issue we're going to have to help her through now. How do you guide people? Because 
very few treatment centers accommodate veganism. I know most of them accommodate vegetarianism. What is your feedback or advice for somebody who who you authentically believe from an ethical perspective is vegan and they need treatment? How do you how do you guide them? There are fortunately a couple of treatment centers that are piloting vegan programs now. I know Alsana has one and they've done a really wonderful, thorough job in trying to make it um, as strong as possible and as robust as possible for their for their clients. So it is my suspicion that we will see more of that um, in the coming, you know, 10 years, 20 years, only because veganism is growing. There is more interest in it. And I think that it's also becoming normalized in such a way that there will be more people requesting and needing treatment as, as vegans. So it's my hope that inpatient treatment and higher level of care will start to, to really be able to welcome this. But in my private practice, again, like my, my main goal is really variety and inclusivity. And it is especially important for weight restoration. You know, I think one of the particular challenges of weight restoration and recovery as a vegan is that a lot of the foods are less calorie dense. Um, not all of them, of course, you know, as I said, there's like, you can make a vegan milkshake with like a pint of coconut ice cream, of course. But for the most part, plant-based foods are often less calorie dense than other other choices within a sort of conventional or not plant-based diet. And if someone needs to eat 3,500 calories a day to weight restore, it, it can be really tricky with vegan foods, especially because vegan foods are also very high fiber. So they can be, it can be tough for people's digestion. So it requires a lot of thoughtfulness on my part, a lot of willingness on the part of my client to eat calorie dense foods that are uncomfortable for them. But that's true of all recovery, right? What you learn to do, you learn to do that and realize that it's not the end of the world and that in fact, our bodies need that kind of nutrition, especially as they are renourished. So I try to just support my clients in that, in selecting more calorie dense foods, enjoying the wide array of vegan foods that exist and all the sort of wonderful options that are there for them in this day and age. And I help them a lot with the nuts and bolts of meal planning so that it's not overwhelming to them. And I'm always thinking about what a sort of appropriate level of renourishment is for them. Speak a little bit. You have cookbooks, don't you? Am, am I, did I make that up in my mind? Because I swear to you, I saw pictures of incredible recipes that you made. And I looked at them and thought, oh, this looks delicious. How did you end up going into writing cookbooks and, and making up recipes and stuff like that? So that really grew out of blogging. You know, I had been blogging for a while and I, I was really... Uh, I, I was, I think, becoming more and more varied and uh, confident in my own cooking. One of the sort of interesting and I, I think beautiful and also complicated facets of my own recovery is that I sort of recovered publicly on my blog, which now it's been a long time. So I can look back and I'm like, wow, that, that happened and it's all kind of out there. But, you know, when I first started blogging, I was still in the more orthorexic space and my early recipes really, really reflect that. I was really into raw foods and all this stuff that is so, it's so far away from where I am now. But um, my blog 
captures that journey because you can see my recipes progress. And as my recipes became more nourishing and more satisfying and heartier, that was when I started to really think, you know, it would be fun to write a book and and have like a print version of all this. Because the thing about online life is that it's always there. It, it lives in the ether of the internet, but there is something really special about having something in print. And I kind of, I wanted to explore that. So that's why I got into the cookbook writing. Um, I think I, I think my, my first cookbook, I, I look back on it now and it doesn't feel entirely reflective of my own food style anymore. It doesn't really reflect my diet. It doesn't necessarily reflect the kind of diet that I recommend, but it is a testament to my past in a way that's powerful and I'm glad it's in the world. I still do make some of those recipes. My second cookbook was a collaboration with Food 52, which is an online food and lifestyle sort of destination that I have written a column for for a long time. And it ended up being sort of a, I would say sort of a primer in the basics of vegan cooking with recipes that reflect that sort of easy, approachable they just so happen to be vegan. There's not a ton of sort of specialty stuff in them. And that was really fun. And then Power Plates is my most recent cookbook and very, very dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. I, I loved writing that book and I've loved people's response to it, which has been really kind and generous and, and lovely. But also because I do think it's an embodiment of the relationship with food that I have now and that I, I think has led me to such a sort of wonderful place of health and satisfaction. Um, the book is really focused on crafting balanced plates of food. So just as, as a plant-based eater, getting your protein in and getting your complex carbs and your healthy fats, making sure that your meals really are balanced. I think that can be a challenge for people who explore plant-based eating. If they grew up with the sort of protein starch vegetable paradigm, you know, in their families or whatever, it can be hard to figure that out as a vegan. And I wanted to walk people through that. But I also wanted to speak to those people out there who do have complex histories with food or complex current relationships with food and show them that balance can be beautiful and abundance and satisfaction and heartiness can be a really beautiful thing, you know, that can be, that can be pleasurable. And I wrote that book with that in mind. Um, and so I feel proud of it for that reason. How did you, how do you come up with your recipes? Is it sort of trial and error? You taste this, you try that, like, where do they come from? And I'm asking that as someone who doesn't cook. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, honestly, so if you had asked me like a year and a half ago, it would have been like, the ideas just come to me. I can't tell you how. The execution happens just the way you said, through trial and error, right? So I make it a bunch of times. Sometimes the recipe is great the first time I make it. Sometimes it's pretty terrible and I need to keep refining it and testing it again to get it right. But if you had asked me a year and a half ago, I would have been like, I can't tell you where the ideas come from. They just happen. Rarely, like once in a while, it'll be that I ate something in a restaurant and, you know, it inspired me to to make my own vegan version, but that's pretty infrequent. Usually the ideas just appear. Now I'm working on another cookbook and I will say that there was, I don't know if it was the pandemic experience of just being home and feeling stuck and anxious and all the other stuff that came up with quarantine, but suddenly for a while, the ideas just ran dry. And it was like the recipe developer's equivalent of writer's block. And it was actually really, really scary and unsettling for me because I was like, 
I've always just taken it for granted that recipe ideas come to me. And for the first time they really weren't. And I had to consciously sit down and be like, you know, what do I want to make and where are the ideas going to come from? Um, and I think I'm still waiting through that a little bit. It has felt very uphill lately. I'm starting to get more recipe ideas. And I think what I've come to believe is that recipe ideas are sort of whatever it is, whatever people experience when they're writers and they have a new idea for a book or when they're painters and they, you know, they're in a period of abundance with their creative work. It's like any other creative work. It does sometimes come in waves. You can't really force it. You can't force the muse. And um, it is it is something over which you do not entirely have control, but you can cultivate it by gently showing up for it every day. I actually, I want to go back and I'm sorry, I keep going back and forth and doing, going in all different directions, but let's go back to blogging. So what was it like? What, what started you blogging? What was it like? What's it like when you reflect back now? And like you said, you can recognize there was orthorexia still there in, in the recipes. So share a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's wild and wild and complicated. So I started blogging mostly just because I genuinely wanted to share. I had no intention of doing it full time. By the way, I was a book editor at this time. Like I, it was a career I had planned on for a very long time. I had been lucky. I found a job that was great. Um, so there was no intention of professionalizing my blog. It was really more just I wanted to share and I had learned how to cook through vegan blogs. Like I had maybe one or two vegan cookbooks, but it was really vegan blogs that taught me how to cook. Again, I was starting from scratch. I had no experience cooking. And that had been a really powerful part of my own experience as a home cook. And it had also been a very important community component for me too, because I don't have a lot of friends from growing up who are vegan themselves. You know, my mom's not vegan. So I was finding... I was finding some fellowship in the world of vegan blogs and I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to contribute. So that's why I started blogging. Um, it, it wasn't until I'd been doing it for a while that I started to think about making a career shift and becoming a dietitian, becoming, you know, making blogging more of a profession for myself. But yeah, you know, my blog reflects this long period of time. I started blogging in 2009. And at the time, I would say that I was sort of in a place where I was stable, but the orthorexia was still really apparent in my life. And when I read my early posts, I I have two reactions, or I, I have a couple of possibilities to how I react to it, which is like, for a while, I would read it, and it made me cringe. And I felt a real sense of guilt. Because regardless of how much you say, when you, when you, when you write on the internet or just publicly at all, regardless of how much you put out the, this is just what works for me disclaimer, there will be people who probably emulate things, you know? Um, and so I felt like a real sense of guilt and shame about that for a long time. And I think then a few years later, I was actually able to have a different perspective on it, which is like, I'm glad it's out there. I'm actually glad that people can see that you can come from that. And you can find yourself in a completely different place with a totally transformed relationship with food. You know, it, my blog actually speaks to the possibility, I think, of full recovery. Um, it, only in the way that it looked for me, but one possibility is always indicative of possibilities for other people. So I'm sort of, I've come to a place where I still cringe sometimes or I read when I read early posts. 
but I'm more able to be like, it's fine. This should live where it lives because it's just a part of my story. And who knows, maybe there's someone reading now who that gives them hope of how far they'll be able to sort of go in their own journey. Did you find it triggering at all? Or I'm going to say, did it fuel your eating disorder at all when you were in graduate school for nutrition? I know that, you know, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't think I would have been strong enough, um, you know, early on in my recovery. If I started studying nutrition, I don't know how I would have navigated through that. How, how did you do that? How did you deal with that? Basically, <laughs> I was actually surprised at how totally untriggered I was. And I think that's just because I was in a solid place when I started. So keep in mind, I didn't like I, before I became a dietitian, I was on a like wild, crazy ride trying to become a doctor first. So I did a pre-med post-bac thinking I was going to be a GI doctor, speaking of GI doctors earlier in our conversation. And I did the whole med school application cycle. And I was so, it was so hard for me that it took me five years before I even applied to like dietitian programs. It was only after I didn't get into med school that I decided to pivot and thought to myself, it was probably a better choice all along for me to become a dietitian. So that's what I'm going to do. And at that point, I really was in a solid place. And I can tell you, we had projects where we had to track our intake, including calories every day for like 10 days, analyze our own diets. Um, we practice physical exams for like the, the sort of physical examinations that dietitians do on each other, which involves like a lot of body stuff and having your body be like really felt and experienced by another person. And it was all totally fine for me. <laughs> and actually, in fact, like a lot of the nutrition stuff we learned, it is a testament to where I was that even though I do care about eating a wholesome diet, a lot of the sort of nutrition things we learned, I was like, yeah, that's nice. But like, sometimes I eat carrot cake for breakfast and that's just the life that I live. <laughs> it's the best choice for me, <laughs> given who I am and what I come from, you know? So I had developed, I think, I guess the best way to put it is like a strong sense of self when it came to my relationship with food that I was able to just kind of hang on to and not get overly affected by any of the information I took in. Had I been younger or much earlier on in my process, I think it would have been a really different situation. Yeah. I know we sort of touched on this earlier, but I, I want to add a little twist to it. So we had talked about when you have clients that they're they're coming and they are they are claiming to be vegan, and you're sort of getting this feeling of like, mm, you know, something's not, you know, you're still cutting out big parts of it. How do you help somebody who is in the recovery process and says, I think I do wanna become vegan. Like, so they haven't come to you like this, but they're talking to you and saying, no, this is not my eating disorder. I really, really think I want to, I want to become vegan. How do you, how do you help them through that? So it, it really, it, I make, I think an assessment as best I can about what is motivating them. If I see someone who is still really struggling through the early phases of recovery, dealing with a lot of orthorexia, and then that person decides that they want to be vegan, it, I will probably have a really frank and honest conversation about them, about my concerns. And that's the best I can do. You know, I can never, I'm as an outpatient dietitian, I can never force anyone to do anything. I'm not there with them. Right. Um, but I can always be 
candid and transparent with my client about what my concerns are and whether or not I think it's the best or most appropriate choice for them. I also always hold space for the possibility that at some point it could be the best choice for them. But what I'll usually say is maybe not right now. Maybe we have some work to do with your recovery and with you know, developing more food neutrality in your life. And maybe can we table this for a little while and get there when you're a little more solid? And that's sort of how I approach it because I genuinely believe that there might be a time in that person's life where if they're drawn to it, it will be the right moment, but it just might not be today or right now. If, if I really believe that someone's motivations are positive, if they express real willingness to eat all the vegan things, if they're not sort of, I want to be vegan, but I refuse to eat soy and I refuse to eat vegan meat and I refuse to eat gluten and I refuse to eat any kind of fats or any kind of refined sugar, that's when, again, my sort of alarm bells might go off internally and then become part of our conversation together. But if I'm not sensing that and they're just interested in a vegan diet and they seem open and willing and enthusiastic and motivated, then we just say, okay, what's that going to look like? And how are we going to make it as nutritious and as sustainable as possible for you? Do you notice, and, and I'm not saying this in a way to say anything negative about people with eating disorders, but again, I always speak from my own experience, example of manipulating by saying I was vegetarian do you notice a lot of clients coming in saying, and and you know that they have active eating disorders and saying that they're vegan or vegetarian, are you noticing that? Has it escalated at all throughout the pandemic or is there really no consistency in that, that number? I don't think I'm seeing a global increase. I think I the reason it's probably consistent for my practice is because of what I write and because of what I put out there, I have been seeing this population of people all along. It might be true that a, a different private practice sort of dietitian is seeing an increase because more and more people are exploring veganism. But I think those people were always attracted to my practice for obvious reasons. So I think it's stayed pretty consistent. As far as the pandemic goes, not necessarily related to veganism in any way, but I do see, I have, I have, I have gotten an increase in people who are seeking me out. That could just be because my practice is still relatively young compared to how long grad school took and is growing. But I suspect that it's also the pandemic year, which um, my observation has been that it has been a really hard year for people with their relationships with food. And so I think a lot of people are still, you know, even though the world is reopening and things are improving, I think a lot of people are still dealing with the demons, the food demons that came up during quarantine. Yeah, I, I think that it it has, from my experience with clients, it it has been an incredible spike in escalating eating disorder behaviors and eating disorder clients. And it's, you know, I have clients who I've said, you know, we got to get you into residential, yet unfortunately, it's a three-month wait. You know, it's just really, really gone up. Yeah. What I'd like to ask you is, what are some of your favorite dishes that you that you love and that your recipes that you've created? I'm I'm curious. Oh, this is my favorite question. I love this question. Um, I can never pick up 
well, actually, I can't. My favorite food is bread, basically, if I had to choose one um, in that. It's the thing that could be, it could sustain me forever. <laughs> um, but I do like to eat it with other things. So I love soups and stews, for sure. I love pizza. I love any kind of pasta dish. I love Right now, I think the last year or two, I've just been very into Italian and Mediterranean cooking in general. I'm half Greek, so it's a little bit a part of my heritage. But I think I've just gone through this period of, of loving Italian food in particular. I joke that my pandemic experience was sponsored by Gardein, which makes, it's a maker of vegan meatballs. <laughs> because that was like, that was like 50% of my dinners for a while. Um, I love anything that's hearty and homey and comforting. Again, that is very much not how I was eating, you know, a decade or 15 years ago at all. I was very much on the salad smoothie side of the spectrum. Not that these things are mutually exclusive. I love, I still love salads and smoothies, but I think I really like hearty comfort food. That's just my happy place. Um, so I cook a lot with whole grains. I cook a lot with beans, but it's, it's really, it's heartiness is always the sort of unifying principle and, um, and cake, cake is my favorite dessert and I make a lot of it. I sometimes joke that I'm going to just write books on cake for the rest of my, rest of my time as a food writer, because I probably could, but that's one of my favorite things. Well, I, I do remember seeing some photographs of some of the dishes that you have, the, the recipes and they, they're colorful and they're beautiful and, and that's what food, whether it's vegan, you know, vegetarian, whatever it is, that's at the end of the day, what it's supposed to be an experience that you see an experience that you smell a taste. And, and it looks like from, and granted they're, they're pictures from a, from a cookbook, which I'm sure if I made these recipes, they wouldn't come out as beautiful, but they're really, really gorgeous, gorgeous looking meals. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, the honest truth is my meals have been less balanced and colorful in the last year as many of ours have been, you know, with just like pandemic rut and boredom and cooking fatigue, but that is how I very much love to eat. And, um, when writing cookbooks, it has been always a joy to like really be encouraged to be in that space of just beautiful, colorful food that allows you to eat with your eyes before you eat, um, eat with your mouth. So, yeah. Yeah. I also want to point out though, that that's another, another sign of recovery where you're saying, yeah, this year has not been the most balanced. It's pandemic. It's a, you know, I, I know that when I was in my eating disorder, everything had to be perfect. And if it wasn't perfect, I couldn't have it. Or well, I could, but I chose not to. And there is a part about like I am so thankful as a recovered person, where I'm like, uh, oh, sometimes food is just fuel, and that's okay. Totally. Sometimes right? a meal is not balanced. It's quick. It's not that thoughtful. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, yeah, as I said, sometimes it's cake for breakfast. I mean, these things happen, and I do think part as much as I love sort of balanced nutrition within my meals it's also balanced to sometimes not be balanced, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And to just kind of like eat and be like, well, that was weird. <laughs> like that, was, that wasn't the most nutritious lunch ever. It's fine. And I do, I am also so glad to be in that space where that does not feel like a particularly big deal because it shows both that I've come a long way in recovery. And it also shows my overall, like sort of, I think, 
confidence and sense of perspective with nutrition. Like nutrition is supposed to look like that. We are supposed, we are supposed to eat wholesome balanced meals, you know, just for the sake of our, of doing good for our bodies, but that doesn't have to be all the time. And it shouldn't be life is not, you know, all one thing or all the other. Mm, I agree. I agree. Jenna, I am so sad to say that we're coming to an end of the podcast, but is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd want to share? Anything that's just coming to your mind that you want to share before I, before I ask your final question? I don't think so. This has been such a rich and wonderful conversation. And um, I, I have just loved sharing this dialogue with you. So no, I can't think of anything else that, that we didn't go over. Jenna, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. I've really been looking forward to this and and I love your philosophy and, and the way you see things and and your honesty and vulnerability about the process of, of getting here. And so I just, I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. So Jenna, as you know, I do one question, nothing to do with eating disorders. And that question is, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? Oh my goodness. Um, I can't think of anything very profound right now. Doesn't have to be profound. It's a bathroom stall. It can be anything. Yeah. I, I, I hope they would just say lover of vegan cake. You know, I, I think I would be really, I would be really pleased to be memorialized that way <laughs> in a bathroom stall. <laughs> I think it's absolutely beautiful and I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Jenna, again, thank you so much for being on the show. It really has been a pleasure talking with you. Oh, Karen, thank you. Thank you for um, having such a great dialogue with me and, you know, speaking of vulnerability, thank you for your own and for holding space for mine. And I think that is such an important part of recovery is that we do that and we stay in that space for ourselves and each other and everyone. So thank you. I agree. I agree. So, all right, everyone. Well, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. It's a wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week. 